Welcome back to our road through Romans. We've had a bit of a break through it. If you're just joining us this morning, well, it's new to you. And we are going through the book of Romans. And 2022 brings us to chapter 8. So I invite you to turn into your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. And because it's the first Sunday, I'm not going to focus too much, uh, too long. Uh, because I do like to get out of here by 11 o'clock, or at least finish the service by 11 o'clock. And so therefore, um, we'll be focusing on one verse this morning, just one verse. As I said last week, it's the verse that most say it's um, probably the best verse in the whole of the Bible uh, because it means so much. Its truth is just phenomenal and lots of people still struggle with it. And so we, we, we'll be getting into those struggles and why so many people um, have a problem with this verse. But it's Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And the first thing to notice is, if you compare all the different versions that are being read in um, the room right now, uh, some are different. Some have long, some are long, some are short. And we'll get into that soon. And, and the long version I've put in red, but most every single version in verse 1, starts off the same. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And so, with a new chapter in the Bible, we have it in our minds because we read books. And when we come to a new chapter, usually as writers, they are instructed to begin a new thought but not so in the Bible. You probably know that the Bible was originally written without any numbers, without any verses or chapters. And the reason is because it was actually, actually a letter. Who writes a letter these days even with verses and chapters in it? No one. And so in order to help us or help humanity read the Bible more efficiently, verses and chapters were added in at a later date. So just because this is a new chapter doesn't necessarily mean it's a new thought. This is actually a continuing thought of Paul. It's actually a summation of what we've just gone through in Romans chapter 7. And so therefore, this morning, I'm just going to take a short time to review on what we have just covered in Romans chapter 7, not just only to refresh our minds, but more so just to help those who are not here or who don't join us in person but are following along um, online. Because believe it or not, I don't know why, I don't know how, there is someone, people from America, uh, not where my family is born either, and there's people from the UK that I'm finding with the data that they're following along the messages. And so because the recording did not work out in my last message, I was unable to upload anything, so therefore particularly for those people who are listening right now, I'll do a quick recap, even for those who are joining us for the first time and didn't get to join us in Romans chapter 7. So it's a continuing thought. And the thought is, what I uh, concluded chapter 7 on last time I preached, was the title I gave this message was Wretched or Joyful. Because Romans chapter 7 is a current debate in the Christian world. Is it a testimony of Paul when he writes Romans chapter 7 
or is it a present-day struggle in which Paul was currently facing back then? I encouraged you to make up your own mind. I always encourage you to draw your own conclusions, to open up the Bible yourself, please. Study what we're studying on a Sunday. Meditate, read upon it daily if you have to, but at least um, a few times a week. Not just to hear it every Sunday, but to reflect your thoughts that you had on the week and then compare them to what I bring to the table. Because I'm going to obviously confess I'm not necessarily right. All I'm going to do is just bring the, to the table all the main primary arguments that scholars present. I, of course, give my two cents of what I believe the text is saying, but please, you can draw your own conclusions, and it's okay to disagree. We can agree to disagree on doctrines such as this or interpretations such as this that don't, they're really non-essential. They don't take away from our salvation. But to me, the big thing is, is that they cause us to know who we are more. They cause us to know who God is more. And this really um, gives us different perceptions of who God is, firstly, and who we are, even in Romans chapter 7. Because is it a struggle? Is it a struggle with sin that Paul was dealing with in chapter 7? Or is it a testimony of when he was a Jew pre-conversion? The main point in Romans chapter 7 is that he continues talking to those who know the law. And this is found in verse 1 of chapter 7. I have not found any indication from Paul that he discontinues his audience being those who know the law. Back in the day, those who knew the law inside out were the Jews. Present day, people who know the law inside out, I call them religionists. Anyone who tries to obey every single law just to be accepted by God. We know it's impossible to do, and we know God does not work like that anymore. Anymore. He did back in the day before the new covenant came into fruition, came into effect. So I concluded with this in my, um, in my interpretation of Romans chapter 7. This is why I think Paul is not talking about a Christian, uh, him being a Christian, but rather a Jew. It's because his phrasing does not match the language he uses in his other writings. It's just disproportionate when you read Romans chapter 6. It's disproportionate to what he um, writes in Romans chapter 7. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not cohesive. It doesn't match. It doesn't mix. It's different. The language, the phrasing he uses. Secondly, it diminishes the expectation of what it means to be a Christian. Because if you read Romans chapter 7 and you say, oh, well, if Paul struggled with his sin, then what hope is there for me? Again, it's contradictory to his other letters, to other churches. There's a lot of times when we are expected as Christians to be victorious, to live as though we're victorious, not in the dumps because we're struggling with sin all of the time. 
It diminishes that expectation of what it means to be a Christian. And then thirdly, Paul gives no solution to the problem that he supposedly has. There's no solution. This is the solution, by the way, for those who believe Romans chapter 7 is Paul's struggle with sin. We're talking about the writer of the New Testament. And by the way, when I say he struggled with sin, I don't, I'm not saying that, hey, there are times when he did struggle. I, I, I would no, no way would I say that Paul um, was you know, the perfect Christian. I'm sure he struggled. He did struggle. We know that in his other writings. When he you know, was pleading with the Lord to have his infirmity, whatever that may have been, to be eradicated, to be gone. He was pleading. He was struggling. It wasn't with covetousness, though, which Romans chapter 7 implies. But there's no solution to his problem. The solution is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which to me matches Paul's argument of the struggle that a Jew would have when hearing what the new covenant actually entails. God's changed the rules. God's plan has changed. Well, his means of the plan. God's plan has always been that everyone be saved. But how that goes, how he goes about it, well. So I'll quickly go through these last verses that I reflected on last, last time. So I discover this principle. This is a principle, this is a law. When I want to do good, evil is with me. I want to do good. Jews want to do good. They want to obey God. But evil is with me. I love God's law with all my heart. Verse 22. Again, it reflects a Jew. But it can also reflect a Christian, even though God's law is now fulfilled in Jesus. So for a Christian, that would say, I love Jesus with all my heart. 23, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. Hmm. I'm trying to do good, remember? But I can't. The, this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Again, this phrasing is contradictory to what he writes about in Romans chapter 6. This is what I was meaning by his phrasing, his language does not make sense. A wretched man that I am. That's, that's, that's the conclusion. It's just wretched. The writer of the half the New Testament is just wretched. Um, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 24, I'm a miserable human being. Again, can you see Paul being like that? Are we doomed to be miserable? No. We're doomed to be joyful. <laughs> Again, I, I just the language I just don't see. And, and maybe it could be because we read versions that are complicated. And so I've, I've purposefully chosen a very plain English version that just helps us understand what I believe Paul is trying to say without taking meaning from the text. But who will rescue me from this dead corpse? Because he's a slave to sin, he's dead. He understands that. Thank God, praise God, there is a solution. Is there a solution to him being miserable? Or is there a solution to him, as a, sorry, is there a solution to him being miserable as a Christian? 
or as a Jew, as an unbeliever, as one who's trying to be accepted by God by just following a bunch of rules? The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. We know that. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. And we understand that we no longer have a sinful nature. We can be affected by sin because there's sin around us that has power, but it cannot be in here because I am convinced that God cannot live, dwell in the same place as sin. He's made us new. He's eradicated that sinful nature from us. And so therefore, well therefore, now, this is where the tide turns. This is where um, the audience changes. This is where, okay, everyone can get back into listening, into hearing what Paul actually has to say, his main argument. This is pretty much a summation of what he's trying to say. And this is what might change your view of Romans chapter 8, reading chapter 8, because it's changed mine. I've heard going out plenty of messages on Romans chapter 8, and I've felt guilty every single time. I felt guilty because it's usually been for revival messages. And the messages usually say, if you, you are a Christian in this room and you're, you're a carnal Christian, you're living in the flesh, then you're doomed. And, wow, my, my total perception, my total interpretation of Romans chapter 8 has changed And so that's what we're going to look forward to get into um, this month. There is therefore now, now, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So let's talk about quickly this. um, I better start my timer now. Those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You might find this phrase in verse 4. And the question is, why some translations include it, why some don't. I've done some brief research. Ultimately, I don't really care. Um, it doesn't affect me too much personally because it depends how you read this. Really, it could be a comparison. Um, first of all, you might be interested. What I've, what I've read is um, this phrase, the ending phrase, is not found in the oldest manuscripts that um, we have available today. Um, If so, some people, why is it there in the first place? And it could be, well, we know with scribes back in the day, the Bible can only be copied if someone writes it out. And so maybe some people think, oh, maybe, you know, they had a um, they had uh, some footnotes and maybe those were accidentally included in, in the versions, in the modern day translations. Who knows how it came about. But people only find this confusing. Oh, first of all, I, I, I included this. Um, you know, is, there, is there a right and wrong translation? Personally, I don't think there is. Um, I actually say, pick the Bible that's right for you. And what's right for you might be different at different times. To me, when I'm doing a devotion, I find it easier 
to read a very plain English translation because I'm not fussed about the academics behind it. I'm just fussed about the application of it. I don't really want to disrupt my devotion time by learning, first of all, what that English word means. And then secondly, what in the world is that grammar? I have to, I'm, I'm busy distracted by trying to figure out what Paul is trying to say just by what the people who used to talk like in 1600s um, are trying to say. So what's right for you can change. It can be different. And I'm just praise God that we have technology that's available to to help us um, pick whatever version we want, pretty much. <laughs> so when you read this verse, let's let's focus on this last part for those who are confused by it, because I, I think a lot too. Because when you read that. It seems conditional, does it not? It seems conditional. It seems like this no condemnation is conditional. Well, it's those who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we know, as a Christian, we can walk two ways. We can walk according to the flesh, or we can walk according to the Spirit. We can be led by the Spirit, or we can be led by our old way of thinking. And that involves our mind. And really, it depends on what we choose to focus our mind on. But what might help your clarification of this verse is asking the question, can a non-believer walk according to the Spirit? And the answer is no. It's impossible for someone who does not have the Spirit of God in them to be led by the Spirit. It's impossible. So instead of using this verse as a behavioral condition, as a condition on how we behave in this world, let's compare it as an identity issue. As our identity. So what I mean by that is, well, let's compare the two camps. Therefore, there is therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Ask the question, who is in Christ Jesus? Those who can walk or who are able to walk according to the Spirit. Those who do, are not in the flesh. And this will make more sense when we look at verse 4 in next week. Let's dig a bit further because I know I haven't hit, what's my saying? The nail on the head. The head on the nail. My goodness, I just, my, if you know me, my sayings are terrible. I always get them mixed up. Let's deal with the confusion that people have all the time, particularly Christians, because they read this. And so I'm just going to delve a bit deeper into distinguishing between our behavior and our, and our identity. So give me a few moments. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 20. Please read this passage this week. Have, have some study on it. And turn to it now if you want. Now verse 9 says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Another version will say, Wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Alright, do not be deceived. Wow. God's not mocked. God knows what He's doing. We get scared because neither fornicators, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's simple. It's plain right there. Interesting. This one does not include liars. But we could say that liars are found in Revelation chapter 21, I think it is, plainly. So you could add that to the list. Anything, but look at that list. And then people say, people will go, oh, uh-oh, um, I'm a Christian, but I did just get drunk last night. I did just get drunk last night. Am I going to hell? This is what goes through people's minds. And people ask about it all the time to those who are willing to answer the questions. And so they get confused. They go back to Romans chapter 1. They're walking according to the flesh. (sighs) What's happening? Am I going to get condemnation or am I not? I've trusted Jesus Christ as my saviour one time. Do I have to trust him again? Am I going to hell? Am I not? What is going on? And so, verse 11 gives us assurance. Such were some of you, but you were washed. So you were these kinds of people, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. Remember, God has declared you justified, just as if you have never sinned. But, well, do I believe that? <laughs> you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that washing, that sanctification, that justification can only come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So Paul's talking to the church at Corinth. You were some of these people. So what might help us is, well, are you a drunkard? Or are you a Christian? Are you a child of God that struggles with drinking? Are you a fornicator? Is that your identity? Is your identity as a fornicator, as an adulterer? Or are you a child of God that struggles with lust? Are you an actual thief? Or are you a child of God that just has a problem with coveting and acting on that coveting? doing whatever you want. And it goes on. A reviler. So someone who is abusive in language. Just to get your own way. Are you a reviler in your identity? Or are you a child of God that struggles with that kind of abuse? And then finally, the swindlers, the greedy. Are you a swindler? Do you do whatever you can to get money, even if it involves hurting people? Or 
Again, are you a child of God that might struggle with that? And so if you continue to read this passage, you'll find out that Paul's overall argument is flee from that stuff. Whatever verse it says, flee from fornication. I think fornication was quite big in that day among the, the Corinthians. Flee from it. Why? Because you, you actually are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Does God want you to do that? Absolutely not. But then we get carried away in our thinking. Does God absolutely not want you to do that because then you'll go to hell? Or that's just the way God wants us to live. God doesn't want us to live in fornication. God doesn't want us to leave, live stealing. Does, God doesn't want us to live continuing to just be greedy and do whatever we can to get all the money here on the earth. That's not God's design for our life. And I think Paul through inspiration of the Holy Spirit, felt it necessary to give that simple instruction. Whereas we might say, well, that's just, isn't that a gimme? That's a gimme. That's obvious. Why wouldn't God want us to do that? But it's instruction. And so that's why I distinguish between our identity and our behavior. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are children of God, to those who are in the Spirit compared to those who are in the flesh. Remember, every single one of you who trusts Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are not in the flesh anymore. You are continually and you will forever be continually in the Spirit. But there may be times where you may walk, you may act, according to the flesh. Hopefully, though, the goal is that you will always walk by the Spirit, be led by the Spirit. That's the goal. And that's where we need to get together and edify one another to do that. We have to provoke each other for good works. We have to encourage one another to keep on doing that. And so we should be comfortable for when we find out some such and such a person is being you know, led by the flesh, being, uh, walking according to the flesh, I get, we should be comfortable to encourage that person, to lift them out of that space, to exhort them, to provoke them to good works. That's not what God has designed you to be. Not, ah, oh, nah, we can't have anything more to do with them because that's the way they are. They're choosing that lifestyle, lifestyle, and we know that no Christian can ever, ever commit that kind of lifestyle. Being involved in that kind of lifestyle, we have to separate ourselves from them. What do you think God wants us to do? And there's not always going to they're not always going to listen, right? They're not always going to listen. But I think we still have a, play, a part to play in helping them realize it, encouraging them to realize it, not condemning them ourselves, not outwardly judging them, especially verbally. So here's the application. There is power in the blood of Jesus. 
Um, the, the question is, such were some of you, you were washed. He's not talking to, of, Paul doesn't know the whole church of Corinth. Not all of them probably were saved, just like the church today. You know, people that come to church every Sunday, they're not necessarily saved, are they? Some people do it for show. Some people do it for appearance. Some people do it for um, uh, selfish reasons, for business even. Um, the question is, are you washed in the blood of Jesus? You only have to be washed once. Have you ever in your life called upon the name of the Lord to save you because you know you need saving? That's repentance. You've changed your mind of, it could be, no, nah, I don't need saving, or, no, nah, Jesus can't save me, to the truth that you do need saving, and Jesus is the only one that saves. That's true repentance. With that repentance comes, or with that washing of blood comes sanctification. Because you're a new person, or you, you are now set apart from this world. You have a purpose. And that purpose comes in many different shapes and sizes, but ultimately the purpose is to conform into the image of Christ. We are all on a journey to trying to live and be brought about conforming to the image of Christ, what Christ was, and we're justified. Are you washed? Are you justified this morning? The, I have to proclaim this every week. There is power in the blood. It's only the blood of Jesus that does that. For those who do that, though, who have done that, you know you are washed, but you are struggling. You need to silence the voice of the accuser. You need to silence him. Because the reason that people always ask these questions is they're being accused. And they think God's accusing them. But no, God is not accusing them. God is counseling them. But God never accuses. The accuser is the devil. He's Satan. He's the enemy. He's the one that wants to get inside your head and say, you have problems. God does not love you because you're doing this. You are going to get condemnation. You are going to receive it. And then we doubt. And then it goes on from there. Sadly, it goes to the point where some people just end their life because I can't handle it. Silence the voice of the accuser. How do you silence the voice of the accuser? Proclaim this verse. Romans 8.1, proclaim it. There's therefore now no condemnation. Get out of my head. Even though I suggest don't talk to the, don't talk to the devil yourself, I suggest you get Jesus to rebuke him. Use Jesus. Talk to Jesus. Jesus, get that voice out of my head. And meditate on these verses. It's interesting to know, I'll conclude with this. Um, this is the verse, by the way, that Israel Folau got in trouble with. Israel Folau, the rugby union player that got um, pretty much kicked out of the rugby union because he, ver he posted this verse on social media. And Obviously, it's wrong for him to kick out because it just, it just eradicates our freedom of speech. But, I don't know, if I was for Israel Folau and I had that influence, to me, Romans 8.1 is more of a better verse. Because what, if you post this verse up to say you need to repent, 
No, it's all about behavior. We're, we're not in a business of behavior improvement. Even though a lot of churches instruct that, but lots of people perceive that as a behavior improvement. That's not what the churches are trying to do. We're not trying to improve behavior. And, and I can't speak for every church, but I can speak for this one. Whenever I say, don't be angry, or don't be bitter, or don't be whatever, it's not I'm trying to improve, improve your behavior. It's just that I'm trying to help you live out what God wants you to do. To actively live out his design for your life. His design, his intention is not for you to be bitter. His intention is not for us to be anxious or to be discontent. That's not his intention. But that's not the main evangelistic mission. The main evangelistic message is this freedom of condemnation is only found in Jesus Christ. It's not found through not doing these things. It's found in a new identity, not in a different behavior. Do you see where I'm coming from? And you see where we have to change our evangelistic um, methods. It's not about improving behavior. It's about changing your identity. You are in Adam and you need to be transformed into Christ. And the only way, the only thing you can do to be transformed into Christ is just to call upon his name to save you. Because you believe that you need saving and only Jesus can save. That's it. That's evangelism. That's all you have to say to someone. And then that, and then we, from there, improve our behavior. But it's not to get more right with God. It's to just live out God's design for our life. Silence the voice of the accuser. And let's continue Romans chapter 8 in the coming weeks. And I look forward to doing that with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your everlasting truth found in your word. Father, we know so many interpretations come with this, but we just are on a journey where we can know more about our identity in Christ, know more about who we are, and even more than that, know more of who you are, know more of your love for us. Because when we look at these, this particular verse, for instance, and, and focus on the behavior aspect, as we perceive it from a behavior kind of perception, um, it's, it's like it diminishes your love for us. It actually puts conditions on your love for us. And we know you are not about conditions. Your love is unconditional. So we just want to rejoice in that truth, rejoice in that fact. And I do pray for anyone in this room that hasn't actually accepted and received that truth that Jesus Christ forgives sins and makes us new. I want to commit that person to you, Lord, if they may be in this room. For the rest of us, help us as we go outside these doors to silence that accuser, to rely on you heavily for everything that we need, to cast our burdens on you because we know you care for us. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.